And welcome to the Dark Side of Soul podcast. This is Joe. This is Sean. Welcome to the completion of Disasters That Shaped Modern Korea. Now, I was going to split the last two decades, um, but I think we should start moving on from just talking about disasters the whole time. Let's move on to other topics after today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I moved it all into the 21st century. And even then, then again, because doesn't it feel like the year 2000 was just 10 years ago? Yeah, I arrived in Korea in in the year 2000. Rather than a 21-year-old was born in 2000. Yes, some people who maybe you know, listening and dreaming of coming to Korea right now were born when I arrived in Korea, maybe like around that time. Yeah. That's crazy. We're almost a quarter oh, way through the century. I know. I remember my, my little tiny kindergarten students, my first year are adults now. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. So yeah. yeah when I first came, I was teaching um, and taught kids, elementary kids. Oh, there's no other yeah. And I think the youngest, the youngest class I taught was, uh, they were, yeah, like seven years old, seven, eight, eight years old, maybe mm-hmm. Korean age, I think. Oh no, 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 no. Um, eight or nine Korean age. So yeah, they're all, they're almost 30. They're in their late 20 now, late twenties now, 30, 29, 30 years old. Yeah. Crazy. We're, we're, we're middle-aged guys have been here a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you having your amazing brewery today? Yes, I am. I'm having the the American Pale Ale again, and Lovely. once again, if anyone from Amazing Brewery is listening, and you are looking for something to sponsor, you can sponsor the Dark Side of Soul podcast and my drinking habit when we record. And I, if any of our listeners really wants Amazing Brewery to sponsor us. You should contact them. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how you can do that, but contact Amazing Brewery. Amazing I'm, Brewery Co. There you go. And I'm going to sabotage this by saying I just finished a can from my favorite Korean brewery as far as canned beers go, Playground. Mm-hmm. Which they can sponsor on. us too. That's, oh yeah, no, no. Playground. We don't go to Playground Brewery after our tours. We go to the table. Yeah, the table. Yeah, which is another That's brewery from that area, the Ilsan Goyang area. It's in. Um, it's in the uh, in um, not Pixuk. It's in um, oh, I forget. I yeah, forget its location. I've been to the original. Everyone with whatever neighborhood in Incheon and in, in Goyang Ilsan. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's near Dongukde Hospital. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> if anyone wants to go there. Yeah, yeah. Those are the, the, the the few listeners we have that know where that is. 
Right. Anyway, I mean, but 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 Playground has a brewery, brew pub right outside of Goyang, which is only accessible by car. Not smart, I would say. What could go wrong? Yeah, which is think they, which is kind of what we're covering today. <laughs> what could go wrong? Lots. What of stuff could go, go wrong? But nothing. What we're going to talk about today has gone wrong at the Playground Brewery. Oh no no no! I love Playground. Playground. I, I no. These guys are super. They're beer nerds, and they they do make nerd beer, mm-hmm. as in people who really know their beers. It's like if you know that music nerd that loves all that cool obscure stuff this is like the brewery for the beer versions of those people because <laughs> they're the only ones I knew that were doing sours mm. and getting Koreans to drink sours that's what I also love about Playground is they're, they're changing the landscape mm. uh, alright good beer so, talking about disasters of the 21st century but I'm going to start just before, um, well, I'm going to start before the year 2000. These are things I wanted to talk about in the 90s show, our last show, but that was a long show. We're going to start in 1999. I'm going to do a caveat. We're not going to cover every disaster of the past 20 years. I'm picking and choosing. Uh, I'm picking and choosing because I want I'm I'm picking things that kind of fit this framing I'm trying to work out in my head of disasters that have affected and made changes in society and are also reflections of things from the past and things we were the growing pains, the things we have to work out, the knots in our muscles, our social muscles that we've had to work out and massage out painfully. Was that a horrible metaphor or what? <laughs> Everyone can write in and let us know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, thank you, listener. We're going to start off talking about the Sealand Youth Training Center fire of June 30th, 1999. Uh, everyone get comfortable. Here's your warning now. Just get comfortable for this story. Sit down if you're not. Because yeah. it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And I might sound callous if I fly through this. I might. We might cover it in more detail some other time. Mm. But anyway, this is in Hwasong. And it, this was a, a youth training center. It, it sounds so communist military. <laughs> yeah, it's, it Actually, does. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Like, <clears throat> the, it was a kindergarten. <laughs> Hitler youth training center. Um, so anyway, it's, it was a basic still framed reinforced concrete building, but had additional space made of stacked cargo containers covered with wood and corrugated iron with, with styrofoam ceilings. Now you do not want flames and styrofoam together. It's not really that styrofoam is super flammable, even though it is, it kind of melts. Um, 
those of you like me who were pyromaniacs as kids, which is how did I survive that time? Um, it, it creates noxious fumes. It is very dangerous chemical when, when incendiated. Did I make up that word? Incendiated? Okay. Um, since these were cargo containers, they had no fire safety measures. They had no sprinkler systems. Um, no fire alarms. Uh, they did have fire extinguishers, but most of them were not working. And they were they didn't have good exits. They were, they were did like two narrow stairways. Um, but despite all this, they've passed fire safety inspections twice. So in the summer, this is around the time if you've ever worked for a hogwan that the hogwans, the kindergartens, they do these little summer trips. And so um is full of young young children and supposedly a lit mosquito coil if you're familiar with these little coils they're used you light them they're like incense burners and and they they smell like the worst eucalyptus worst pine it smells like you you sprayed off all over all all over a ferret's testicles they're really stinky. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just a smelly thing. Those are cool. Anyway, one was lit after mid and, and then shortly after midnight, started a fire. Um, it it spread rapidly. Um, lo- lots of bad things happened. The 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 response was late. Uh, the fire started at two twelve thirty. And the fire department didn't arrive for an hour and a half. And it took 50 hours to get under control. Um, in the end, 19 children and four adults were, were they died. 18 came from the Soman kindergarten. And most of them were sleeping in this one room, room 301. Um, since it took 50 hours for that fire to go, uh, it was hard to identify the bodies. They, it took two weeks to identify them all. And they were all in one place huddled together. This is why Sean said to sit down. This is the toughest part. I hate doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the owner of this facility, Salem Park, and six officials from Hwasong were charged with involuntary manslaughter and violation of building laws and of course you know bribery because how else would they have passed those inspections without bribes does this sound familiar so if you if you listen to our other shows about the disasters bribery and cozy, the coziness of government officials with industry led to a lot of this um Lots of corruption in business and corruption in government. Uh, more of the corruption of this Sealand Park piece of scum. Uh, he borrowed a construction designer's construction license for this uh, cargo container kindergarten program. Um, four architects and builders were also arrested. I should point out, too, as having participated and been, just been involved in this for so long, Summer programs are tend to be scams. They're fly by night 
companies uh, very tr- untrustworthy, especially around this time, uh, especially the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, among English teachers, people knew the summer programs as um, a crapshoot. Either it's a way you can make a lot of money in a two-week period or you're going to be overworked and they will run off with your pay. Yeah. Happened a lot. Yeah. This company still, still owes me 800 bucks. Oh really? It's from like 2002. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to get it. It was common. It was common. It it was these shysters that would just build these things and then run off to the Philippines with the money. Mm Hmm. I don't trust them anyway. So also the Somon kindergarten owner and others were arrested because they were out drinking rather than watching the children. Ah, yeah. So of course there's a public outcry and better enforcement of safety standards. Now you're going to see that there is again, it's this pattern of, Something that any logical human being would be able to anticipate, but it's either just, I don't know what it is, is the lack of will or really just this, what could go wrong attitude. Uh, you know, you know, you know, you ever, you ever been in a car with someone on a fast moving highway and they will go less than one meter behind the car in front of them and tailgate them that closely as in what could go wrong? You know, you know, that person may not step on their brakes all of a sudden. It's that mentality is always assuming that nothing will go wrong. And this happens over and over again. It happens again exactly six months later, exactly four months later, in October nineteen, October thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine. So the last one, uh, Sealand was in June thirtieth, and then was this is in October thirtieth. Inchon Bar fire killed sixty five people. This is the worst disaster in modern Inchon history. Um. It's the third worst fire in modern Korean history. Now, this was your standard commercial area building. It had been around 20 years old at the time. Uh, three stories, wood and brick building with a, with a really crappy tiles on the front. You can always tell those types of buildings built in a certain era. You know, it's like it's a it's a building that looked great and new for two months. And then the way the tile works done just looks grungy. Yeah looks like a bathroom floor a public yeah. bathroom floor a giant public bathroom that's what they look mm. like from the outside mm. um that it's a multi-purpose building they had a, a Nordebang karaoke room on the on the first basement a restaurant on the first floor a hof pub beer pub on the second floor and a billiard room on the third floor pretty much a standard layout for a commercial district for an entertainment district I would say um, the 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 uh, the Hoff on the second floor was illegal. They call themselves the Live Two Hoff House. Uh, I thought it was that was odd that the third floor billiard parlor was called NBA Billiards. Um, anyway. This was a shady, 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 shady operation. Uh, uh, they 
uh, in March that year, the building was already slated to be shut down. The businesses were wanted to be shut down because it wasn't passing standards. Um, eight days before the incident, the police had ordered it to be shut down because the Hoff had no license. It was it was known as being a place where high school students would hang out and drink. Um, even though they were spot checked, but it was likely someone on the inside tipped them off that they were going to be spot checked. 129. Did I say that? 65 killed. 129. You didn't, you didn't say it. No. Oh, 65 were killed. Yeah, but 129 known victims, so injured and killed, 97 of which were underage. The youngest person who was killed was 13 at a bar, in a crowded beer bar. Now, many of them were high school students coming from a from a high school festival. They, many of them were still wearing their school uniforms. Uh, now, it's believed that this was started in the basement in the Noribang that was undergoing renovation, uh, started by two teenagers who were playing with fire at the time. Boy. And they were able to extinguish the fire, but it had already spread through the insulation in the walls and went in that way. Um, and a lot of the doors were locked from the outside. And when the fire was happening and it was dark too. Uh, people were trying to leave the bar. The owner of the bar gave had given instructions not to let anyone leave before paying. And then he skipped out. Jesus. Like Sounds like Sampoon, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And captain's leaving the ship early. Captain's leaving the ship early and greed. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is just a low life. This guy is such a low life. Sounds so like more a than a hundred people were trapped inside that bar. And you know how small these places are. How did you fit a yeah. hundred people in there? Oh, they didn't care. I went okay. to places back in the day. Yeah, we there was a, a we had our drinking hole in Ilsun. Um and you could you could get thirty people in there fairly fairly comfortably. But we there'd be 70, 80 people in there on a on a Friday night. Yeah, that's not midnight. Fun. To, How is midnight that enjoyable? That oh, was great. <laughs> we had a great time. I really? was DJ. I was the DJ too, so I was always behind the bar. So Oh, okay. Well there you go. Well you you were <laughs> safe. Different. You were behind the bar. You weren't around all that 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 sweat meat. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell I don't like being around people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm agoraphobic. Mm. Um, yeah, you'll find all these uh, fires. Um, most of the deaths were from smoke inhalation, toxic fumes. Uh, most of them were on the beer hall. The third floor, they were able to break open the windows, even though they're reinforced, not reinforced, tempered glass, which mm. makes it really difficult to open. And you find that's another thing that pops up a lot in these fires. People can't break the windows. The windows weren't openable either. There's a lot of uh, things like this. Uh, My buddy years ago lived in an office tell so that the the typical kind of apartments, uh, kind of studio apartments that are popular in Korea, especially in Ilsan, Goyang area, newer cities. And um, he moved into a new one and he all had us over one night on a Friday or Saturday to have some have some drinks. And... uh, he was up on the uh, floor. Was he on? I think he was on the fifteenth floor. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, next to his window there was the the repelling kit. So if there was a fire, you could repel out the window. So I had a harness and a rope and, and yeah. a hammer, so you could break the window. And uh, and then we looked at it. I, I pulled the rope out, and uh, I didn't like on. I didn't unravel the rope, but I kind of pulled it and was looking at it to see if it was a climbing rope. And it was. Remember, he was on the fifteenth floor. It was a five-story rope. Oh my god! <laughs> so he'd make it halfway down. I guess better than. Yeah, well, let you know, not even halfway down, but better than better than nothing. Do, I, guess. I don't know. Maybe do the diehard thing and try to crash through another window or something. That was our joke. That's, that's what he's like. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll do it. Do it. Was it uh, McLean? We'll do it. Yeah, McLean. John McLean. John McLean. Not Don McLean. Yeah, I'll do a John McLean. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not American Pie. Yep, again, narrow corridors and stairs when the stairs were acting like a chimney. You're going to find these patterns, by the way, guys. You're going to find these patterns, things happening over here. Only one small exit. No sprinklers. They were removed, they were removed during renovation. Another pattern you're going to see. There were fire extinguishers, but uh, this thing happened so fast that people didn't use them. Um, so this was considered the worst fire since the 70s. We were having those hotel fires. Um, the building owner was actually in the billiard hall and he, he jumped down from the third floor and he survived. But, um, uh, one of his relatives was their nephew and he didn't survive. Um, the pub owner and four workers were arrested. Uh, the owner tried to flee, but he turned himself in, got him, got five years in prison. And then he went into the ministry and tried to become a Christian pop singer. Boy. Singing some striper to hell with the devil. I'm I'm sure. (laughs) Hey, I actually had that tape. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot of things going on. And um, the aftermath of this um, before uh, teenagers were complaining that they didn't really have a place to play there. This was uh, one of those commercial districts and Korea was just full of them at the time of um just adults only entertainment districts no places for teens to go so teens went here because there really was no other place for them to really go it wasn't they were all trying to be bad and go drinking beer and shit they were they were just trying to find an, a, a recreational spot so um i think this, this is before we started instituting more parks mm. Uh, for kids to ha- for teens to hang out things like that uh, that entire commercial district by the way in Hyundong this is where it was commercial district totally collapsed after this mm-hmm. and uh, the commercials were districts were more evenly spread out through Incheon now I live on the border of Incheon um, sorry guys who live in Incheon it's still a shithole <laughs> yeah, I don't like it yeah there's a new part of Incheon though right they're always there are always lots of parts of Incheon. It's a large area. Expanded. Yeah. But I live on the, but when I'm driving and I hit Incheon past Gayang and it's just Slurred. a depressing, <laughs> depressing area. It's just street light, street light, street light, street light, and just run down commercial districts. Not nothing exciting either. It's just depressing commercial areas. It's um, what was it they say? They say that um, one of them is Inchon and Buchon. Inchon is where men go 
who are divorced and Buchan is where men go who have failed in business or it's the other way around if you want to know there's a memorial at the Inchon Student Educational and Culture Center which is near the site of the fire let's move forward to the actual turn of the decade um, turn of the century 2003 February 18, 2003 is the famous infamous Daegu Subway Fire gonna start yeah. right up front 192 killed the work just a perfect storm of bad bad juju and bad situations bad choices and bad people so this this basically started when um, an arsonist set fire to a train and the fire spread across two trains within minutes um it is called the largest peacetime deliberate human disaster it was started by there's another pattern you see. It was started by an older, embittered man. 56-year-old unemployed taxi driver. He had had a stroke in 2001, two years before, and was not satisfied with his medical treatment. So what do you want to do? I want to kill myself and take others with me. Because, you know, that is the most selfish act you could possibly do as a trash scrotum. <laughs> Yeah. So he went on the subway train and they were at the, uh, I think it was a Jungnanglo station, which would be the center street station. Um, and he was, passengers saw he was opening cartons and he was fumbling with a lighter. And so they saw what was going on. The passengers tried to stop him, spilled one of the cartons of fluid, which caught fire. Uh, uh, Kim Dae-han himself, the guy who t- intended to kill himself, escaped it's like screw this <laughs> yeah it's like ah oh, it changed my mind I mean he yeah. did his legs and back did catch on fire uh, but the insulation uh, insulation in the uh, subway cars made it spread within two minutes all six mm-hmm. cars were doused in flames and also the vinyl and plastic on the seat cushions strap handles all that plastic it's all noxious fumes the, the train operator didn't notify the officials of the fire. This is where it gets really bad. So another train enters the station. The automatic fire detector has shut down the power, trapping the train in the station. And what did the operator do? The operator is named Che, by the way. Both of the operators are named Che. He, he told everyone to stay seated. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Stay where you are. Stay seated. The officials saw it on CCTV. They contacted this new train coming in saying, watch out, there's a fire going on. He said, what to do? And they said, turn off the engine and leave. He turns off the engine and leaves and takes the key with him. He doesn't bother opening the other doors of the train. This is this is this mentality I see a lot with workers is I'm just going to obey your directions literally without taking any initiative myself and doing any thinking for myself. He did literally what they told him to do, kill the engine and leave. And the whole station and the trains were totally unprepared. No fire extinguishers, no sprinklers, no emergency lighting, poor emergency ventilation systems. Uh, The responders were late but that's because the smoke prevented them from entering the stations for three and a half hours. 
again, you have a fire burning that long, very difficult to identify the bodies. Mm-hmm. In the aftermath, there was evidence that there was an attempted cover-up. Um, the The operator of the second train that was told to turn off the engine and, and skip town, um, well, he, he did skip town, basically. He couldn't be found for 10 hours. And uh, when investigators found the transcripts between the conversations of the officials uh, and the operator, uh, there were there were omissions in the transcript. This all resulted in better fire safety in the subway stations. Um, we've had a few incidents over the years, and and some incidents that happened in Japan affected us as well. Mm. Uh, remember the sarin gas in the subway system in in Japan? That was yeah. nasty. Yeah, yeah, that scares the shit out of me. Yeah, that's yeah. why uh, that's why you find um, uh, gas masks in the subway station. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I remember this very clearly. Were you already in Korea when the fire? No, this is before you, my time. Okay. When this happens, yeah, it affected the 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 subways up here as well. Like yeah, I think like nationwide the, it changed a lot of things. Yeah. So. And especially in Seoul, being the largest subway system in the country, of course, one of the largest in the world. In the world, yeah. Uh, The um, they removed all of the the uh, uh, the cushioning, the cushioning from the from the subway seats. Before this fire, all the subway trains had cushioned seats. Like what kind of cushioned seats? Like it wasn't thick cushion like you'd have on like a nice kitchen chair, nothing like that. Okay, but it was like an air, it was like a it was uh, like a thin cushioning and and. Uh, well, like we a, have that still in some of our trains. The Airx trains have d- nice direct nice seats. D- immediately after this, all of that was removed, and it took years for it to all come back. Now I know, yeah. Well, I know number two line has metal seats. Yeah, yeah, and that may have always had metal seats. I think, um, but. Uh, it affect that was a huge effect and i remember i don't remember how long after the fire the daegu fire because i lived right next to line three uh g up station oh wait this is 2003 i lived close to chongbalsan station um, oh, yeah. subway line subway line three orange line okay. and um got on the train one saturday going into seoul and um the first thing i noticed was like oh the, the cushioning has gone from the seats and then i sat down and it, they're still awful they're terrible to sit on the the subway seats they used to be a lot more comfortable and it was because of this that that yeah. they removed the cushioning took years for them to kind of come back and they're a lot thinner than they used to be but yeah. i don't know the airx i was only on the on the airx like once it's a super going comfortable to, train it's the one i take I think, every day all right and i think that was going up to your place going to your place oh took it. <laughs> yeah uh, well i guess twice because i i took it into yours and then coming back yeah well the subway stations were refurbished and i think seoul was refurbished too and i noticed uh since uh a lot, okay so people were trapped people died because they were trapped in the trains they mm-hmm. couldn't open the doors they could open the doors but they didn't know how right and that's why there's this diagram on all the subway trains now with a guy showing you how to open the doors. And I think the, the, this cartoon, I've actually posted this a few times on my social media. The cartoon is funny because they actually bothered drawing the guy's butt crack on his pants. <laughs> you don't need to do that, but someone insisted on drawing this guy's butt crack. Open the door, save your butt. Yeah. <laughs> 
if if you ever notice that any soul subway train if you're waiting by the door notice the little diagram next to it it's like you just start looking at it so like why did i mean it's not out of place but was an unnecessary line to draw and all i do is just focus on this guy it looks like it looks like the back of walter white from breaking bad it's it's walter white's butt crack it's a different kind of fire joe yeah <laughs> anyway um but i remember when this happened this was international news i made the news in in newfoundland anyway my parents were calling me and calling me and i no, we had a few I, things um a few things happened that year yeah before i was right before i came to korea right but they thought like because my parents didn't know they knew i didn't live in seoul they knew i lived in goyang but when they were here like daegu subway they didn't know what daegu was they had no idea you know and they're trying to get in touch with me for like like a couple of days and my brother-in-law ended up having to he got in touch with me through email parents didn't have an email yet and not didn't have an address so he's like call your parents they're freaking out but i think my brother ended up looking at a map because the family was worried so my brother looked it up and he's like it's nowhere near yeah um but at the same time they knew i traveled a lot but it could have happened it could have and i had so right and i was in daegu less than a year before so i don't know yeah. could have happened you know could have happened i was there for when the world he, when cup he, when he got these selfish suicidal people that want to bring everyone down with them or just causes much just they just want to go on down in that blaze the blaze of glory hole yeah you know um, anyway, both the op- operators of both trains were both charged with negligence. They were sentenced between four and five years in prison. Um, Kim Dehan, the arsonist, was convicted of arson <laughs> and homicide, sentenced to life. Though even though prosecutors pushed for the death penalty, doesn't matter. He died in two thousand four, so the next year. Um, also, in aftermath, in two thousand eight, the Daegu Safety Theme Park was opened. To teach people about safety i don't think it's that popular though no safety's not that popular ask me why yeah <laughs> we'll return to the podcast after this message get our comic book the dark side of soul weird tales from korean lore at our website darksideofsoul.com or get it at comiXology if you're in seoul visit the dice latte near huegi station to get your copy Written by me and drawn by Tim Bauer, it's 50 pages of folkloric dread. And now, back to the show. This is the first Oof. time this gentleman... Why did I say gentleman? This is the first time this asshole's been mentioned on the show. It's the first time? No, not the first time. We've well, first time we've, we haven't, we've teased him gonna, so many times. Yeah, yeah. That's right. We've teased him. We said we're going to do an episode on him eventually, and I, I think we're just going to maybe just leave it here. <laughs> maybe we'll go out. This know. is we'll kind of like 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 in the MCU, you have some minor character that will end up having a whole Disney Plus series about them later on. <laughs> so yeah, this is cool. this is this is the Wanda <laughs> of our show. <laughs> so not that cool though. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 Yeah. And it's it's uh, mo- most of our listeners will know who we're talking about. 
uh, he used to be featured. I used to talk about him briefly on my tour. I don't anymore. I've removed him from my tour because I changed my route. Uh, and oh, no, no, no. I still sometimes talk about him. It kind of depends on the time. And Joe, I think you still do, right? He's still on your mm. extended. On my extended tour. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about Yu Young Chol. So Yu Young Chol is one of the most infamous serial killers in Korean history. Uh, definitely one of the most infamous, probably the first real infamous serial killer for, of the 21st century, easily. And um, he started uh, his killings in 2003, but his history goes back quite a bit. And what I'm going to focus on here for the podcast is that since a lot of information can be found about him online, uh, either on YouTube, there are so many videos about him now. Uh, I think I even think there was an episode of Criminal Minds that was inspired by his crimes. Um, and there was a film inspired by his crimes called The Chaser, Korean film. Yeah. Uh, the I'm, So there's a lot of information about him. He has entered pop culture, but there are a lot of aspects about him that aren't always discussed. And things that I would just leave off the tour because it's just too much detail to put into the tour. So these are things about... Oh, Yo, yeah, yeah, my version is very cliff notey. Yeah, yeah, mine as well. It, it would take me about five minutes to tell it. Um, so... And but you know you could write an entire book on him, and actually there there have been books written about him. Uh, I think one is called "Addicted to Murder" or "Murder Addiction," something like that. Um, so some of the, some details about you young you young child that aren't as well known. Going back in his earlier life, uh, his father was a Vietnam vet, ended up being an alcoholic and a gambler, and according to some of the the sources I've looked at uh he eventually just abandoned his family so some people may mention that these experiences may have led to some of the the problems the, the that entered you young chill's brain that turned mm. him into a into a, a lunatic later in his as life as if he's the only person who had that type of background but yeah of course but of course not but you know, this is the criminology, right? You know, the studying of things like this, the trying to figure all this, all these things out, and a lot of these things do play into some of these things. But then, but then you you get Ted Bundy, who had a fairly decent upbringing, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, but you was violent when he was young, uh, got into a lot of fights, but he was very athletic, so he was strong. That's a key thing to remember. He was very athletic and he was quite strong. He was also very artistic and he wanted to be an artist, but he eventually just dropped out of high school, never finished high school. August 1988 committed his first known crime, which was theft. And because of this, he was 18 years old at the time. He was exempt from military service because he was serving parole, some jail time in parole. So he was exempt from his military service. 91, he gets married and he has a son with his new wife. But throughout the 1990s, he committed 14 counts of theft and some counts of rape collectively. (gasps) 14 counts collectively of theft and rape. And throughout the 1990s, that decade, he spent seven years of prison time. So he spent seven years of the 1990s behind bars. 
March 2000, he raped a 15-year-old girl. Oh, God. And he was only given a three-and-a-half-year sentence. And he was sent to serve his time in Junju Prison. But, of course, he got out of jail early. Um, but before he did get out of jail, his wife divorced him. And then she's out of the picture. Now, September 2003, he's released from prison. And he goes back to Seoul. Because remember, he was in Junju. He was in the Junju prison. Went back to Seoul. And he became fascinated with murder and death and in causing death. So he had never murdered anyone before, but he actually practiced and he practiced how to commit murder on a dog. He got a dog and he started stabbing it. Now he was a bit put off by all the blood, but especially by all the crying and the whimpering and the hollering and the squirming that the dog was doing while it was being murdered. So Yu Yong Chol decided the best way to kill victims was to hit them in the head first. And this became his MO. Later that month was his first murder. Now, most of his victims were bludgeoned. Like I said, it became his MO. And he used a hammer or some similar tool. Uh, some other uh, 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 reports indicate that he probably carried a claw hammer with him as well. Mm -hmm. But I've seen photos of the hammer that was used in some of his crimes, and it's huge. It's a big, heavy, short-handled mallet. Something easy to conceal, but heavy enough, especially if he, if he were to hold it uh, uh, near, you know, at the bottom of the handle where he could, it, could, it could swing. Heavy enough that if it came crashing down on somebody's skull, uh, it could kill either kill you or rendered you unconscious. Mm -hmm. And while his victims were unconscious, he would kill them and he would kill them by stabbing. So, um, he, uh, he initially started killing the elderly, mostly men, but also women and often in their homes. Now he did all this before he moved on to raping and murdering women mostly women who were prostitutes or they worked in massage parlors, the masseuses who were sex workers. And all of these women were in their twenties for the most part. Um, now, like I said, all of his victims or most of his victims were bludgeoned or raped or both before being murdered, stabbed several of them, especially his later victims, mostly the women, were dismembered and allegedly cannibalized. He claimed that he ate parts of his victims. Now, the ages of his victims range between the early 20s to the mid 80s. His, his uh, second or third victim was an 85 year old man. Um, so at this time, I was here at this time when Maybe he started his killing. Yeah. When he started his killing spree in 2003, uh, and then the time he was captured in summer of 2004, yeah, we were terrified. 
Like people were really, really scared. Um, at the time, I remember when all the the elderly people were were being found dead in their homes, and I was talking about it with my at the time my girlfriend's sister's boyfriend, who is now her husband. Have mm-hmm. I intermittently stayed in touch with him? Nice guy. And um, I remember we were sitting down one time and we we're just talking about it. He's like, "Do you hear about all these murders that are happening in Seoul?" I was like, "No, what's going on?" And uh, he explained it to me. I was like, "That's so weird." And then like a week later, he was like, yeah, they found like two girls are dead too. He's like, all these murders are happening in Seoul. No one knew at the time it was Yu Young Cho killing both types of victim, mm. the old elderly wealthy people and, and these young women, because the very different demographics for murder. It wasn't until after he was caught that they knew that it was, he was responsible for both. Um, so, uh, he after he was captured of course he went to court the the trial took place he was convicted for 20 murders uh, initially in the first and second trials and then rape was later added to his convictions in december of 2004 towards the end of that year he was sentenced to death now in this the following summer his death sentence was lower to life by the Supreme Court. Now, this brings up a point about the death penalty. Not going to talk too much about it because Joe and I have something planned in the future, in the very near future, talking about this. Um, So this was a significant thing. People wanted him to die, but he didn't. He was not sentenced. The death sentence was not carried out. By this time in 2005, 2004 2005 the death sentence was already frozen it was stalled it was mm-hmm. it had become inactive uh so he's still uh in jail today at the Seoul detention center or the Seoul prison now some of the aftermath of this one of the key after the points of of the after of the aftermath was that in 2010 the Ministry of Justice reestablished a uh, had a review to reestablish the death penalty. They looked at it pretty deeply, and their key example for for wanting to bring the death penalty back to make it active again because it never actually technically went away. So it exists on paper, but not in practice. It's kind of like the armistice between North and South Korea. We don't have a peace treaty yet. Oh yeah, it's just a, it's a ceasefire, right? Yeah. Right. So uh, we don't like definite endings, do we? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and then, but it was Yu Young Chol, who and his crimes, uh, who really had the government uh, rubbing their chins and thinking, oh, should we bring this back? Should we reactivate the death the death penalty? And uh, the result was no. Uh, there was a lot of political uh, butting of heads at the time over mm. the the discussion, and the review was abandoned. So, Yu Young Cho, right now, while you're listening to this, he's in prison just outside of Seoul. I thought That's he was it. in uh, Weewang. Yeah, well, that's it's that's the Seoul Detention Center, the Seoul Prison. Oh, okay. That's what, it's, that's what it's called. 
Yeah. That's right near where I used to live and work. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. There you go. So yeah, if you can find out, there's just so much information about him online. You young Cho. just a lot of those, some of those key details that I mentioned don't seem to be part of the the uh, articles uh, and videos that are done about him. They focus. They'll tell you a lot more about um, what he did on certain with certain victims, yeah. um, and 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 whatnot. And that, that's the kind of standard information that, that can be found about him. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to look for more, there's lots online. Definitely one of the most widely known uh, Korean serial killers outside of Korea. Yeah. Hmm. All right. And we have others, but we're going to, we're going to save those serial killers for another show. Mm-hmm. Just giving you, but this was a time I should, we should point out that serial killing was picking up or the awareness of it was picking up because I think a lot of these crimes like um, rapes and killings and child abuse I think that they they were they were happening before but they they were just starting to be more uh, in the public conscious by then and I got my I got my ideas about that. I might just mention towards the end of the show. About why? Most recent, the most recent murder case is a man named Kim Tae Hyun killed three women just two weeks ago. We're going to jump forward to 2008, January 7th. Um, we're just, I'm just going to fly through a lot of these um, just so we can see some of the patterns in these disasters. There's a fire in a refrigeration distribution warehouse that was under construction. Uh, 40 out of 57 people there were killed. Uh, the cause was sparks from welding landing on chemicals. And it brought up, hey, guess what? Safety issues. I'm sure you have seen this before as people welding without proper precautions taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have. Just yes. holding their masks, just holding their masks and pulling to the side to, to look. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't think that's, I don't think that was in your training. Yeah. So yeah, multiple causes for this one thing. Here we go again. Fire department issued safety inspection certificates without inspecting. (laughs) They didn't go on site. They just handed out the certificate. Yeah. We don't want to bother with it. Uh, Workers were not given safety training as in wear a mask when welding and don't weld near chemicals. (laughs) <laughs> Try to keep the area flame proof. <laughs> um, there's also the the, the typical baddy baddy, hurry hurry pressure to finish this, and um, like in the other instances, the 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 sprinklers and everything was not operational. They were locked down. Uh, in the aftermath, the building owners were sent sent us to twenty sent us twenty million one. I'm not sure. I, I'm getting this from the Korean websites. Um, and uh, but the building owner what w- did avoid prison, uh, it made some type of deal with the families of the victims, avoided prison. I was wondering, blood money, what you can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's another, I think I brought this up before. Uh, the blood money is real. Um, there was one foreign woman 
who was a victim of a uh, rape and the rapist friends were or the rapist was was offering compensation for it and she refused it she wanted him to be tried as a criminal for rape and the judge the judge said she was being unreasonable <laughs> jesus god uh the reason simon and martina eat your kimchi left korea the final straw was that they were walking in Hongdae near their studio and a drunk driver ran over one of their employees and crushed her. She was, and while she was recovering in the hospital, his friends were trying to bribe her to not press charges with blood money. One of the most famous fires in modern history didn't have any deaths or injuries except to the national pride. I'm talking about the Namde Moon Fire of February 10th, 2008, which, did you ever hear it called Sule Moon before the fire? Yeah, I, yes. Of course, because you're a nerd. <laughs> well, because of the, 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 that's part of the reason why the, the signboard is vertical, not horizontal, is because of the second character, Le. Okay. So, None, everyone knows it as Namde Moon, Great South Gate, hmm. but Sule Moon. It's just it seemed like too. It's like respectful, pretentious, and and like it died. So we're going to call it by its death name. <laughs> well, it's 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 the real name, but Namde Moon's Namde Moon's a nickname. It's a nickname, <laughs> but it's it's yeah. I don't like that name. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I just felt like you never heard Korea. I didn't hear many people calling it Sule Moon until after the fire. And it was started by uh, Che Jong-gi, a bitter old man. Here we go again. <laughs> 69 years old, upset because he hadn't been paid in full for land sold to developers. Um, turned out he had also tried he also had tried to set Changgyong uh, Palace on fire back in 2006. Uh, but they didn't do anything. They gave him a slap on the wrist for that. And let him go and didn't see that this guy might have a pattern. Um, this is just, this is the disturbing part of how this guy thought. He he targeted Namde Moon because of two reasons. It didn't have good security, it had lack of security, and uh I didn't want to cause any casualties. He was seriously considering doing arson on a train or bus like the Deku subway fire. He was seriously considering that. Like, thanks, dude, for deciding not to do that. Piece of shit. Yeah, so uh, he burned down the oldest wooden structure in Korea because he didn't get enough money for land. I mean, yeah. Mm, there, there are ways to protest that, but anyway. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a childish, selfish thing to do. And we covered this a lot back on the Soul Podcast when when this was when this happened. Yeah, it made my wife cry, <clears throat> made my wife cry when we saw it. That was, it was actually our pilot episode, our test episode of Soul Podcast. We covered this. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember a big part of that was not long before uh, Emil Pak who was the mayor of Seoul at the time. Was he the mayor at the time or was he already president? 
Oh, I email back? president. He was president by the time, right? Yeah, he's in 2008. He was president. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he, what a big part of his, he, he provided access to Namdemun. Before, uh, before him, you couldn't, you couldn't access it. Cars. Remember? Cars. Yeah, but cars drove around it. Yeah. Right. Like, like Dongdemun. So, um, like, 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 uh, um, Eastern Shin before too. Mm, right. Yeah. You couldn't walk to it. That's right. Yeah. So, um, the statue. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of people were, I remember they were angry at email, at uh, email pack after that, because he, he's the one who gave access to it. So, yeah. Nah, nah. I was uh, interviewed. If, I was on TV after that. Uh, you were. I w- yeah. Cause I went down to see it the day after or two days later. I went down to see it and, uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, while I was there, I don't remember. It was one of the SBS or someone came up to me and they said, we, uh, would you, we're talking to people about, about this. Would you like to do an interview? And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So they interviewed mm-hmm. me. And you so, called it Sule Moon? I did call it Sule Moon. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I did call it that. That's actually, a, 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 that's the, the finale of my tour is. No, it's great too. My, my extended, my extended tour. Yeah. Yeah. And I talk about the fire. Yeah. yeah. It Pretty is great. Fun. But it's, it's one of those like, um, what could go wrong mentality. It's like, it's like you have, the oldest, some of the oldest wooden structures in modern that's still surviving in modern history, and you don't have any security. Hmm. We do this a lot. We still just like because just assume that nothing could go wrong. Well, Cause the security and now do not exist. Yeah, the security yes, but, now but is still John, pretty light. Think hmm. about another popular spot. On our dark side tour, the Berlin Wall. Oops. Oh, sorry. Geez. Spoiler alert: We had the Berlin Wall on our tour. Yeah. There's no security around it, and uh, one day, an art, uh, a graffiti artist, a guy who thought he was making a statement, painted over the Berlin Wall. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So, anyway, yeah, there's a so. There's, they close the gates to Namdimun now, maybe around eight o'clock, but the security guard stays there at the gate until about, I think at 11. And it, it was widely known it was mm-hmm. lack security because the homeless mm-hmm. would sleep on the second floor of, right. of Namdimun back then. Right, right. That's right. It was safe for them, actually. It was a good, it was a decent place for them to get away from and i think that's how that guy knew about it i think he slept up there before when he was kicked out of oh, the really? house by his wife oh i didn't yeah i don't know anything about him there are things i remember that are coming back to me now because we talked mm. about it on the old soul podcast right right uh, interesting mm. anyway yeah that, uh, and you said like no casualties except for the national pride yeah people were really upset Another thing, uh, just to say quickly before moving on, is that Namdimun is listed as uh, the uh, her- uh, tangible heritage site number one. This number one. 
but it isn't number one because it's considered the best. That no. was kind of a random numbering system. It's kind of like the first so, one they thought of. Yeah, essentially. And it was actually the it was it was the um, it was the numbering system that was initially established by Japan. Oh, really? Uh, and then when Pak Jung Hee became president, he started the the Heritage um, Association within the government, the government program, and then they just picked up the numbering system. They made some changes and to it. And they're overly obsessed with this stupid system. As in, hmm. they, they make it such a big deal. When you look at the freaking brochures, you go to a historic site in Gyeongju, mm-hmm. and they'll say, hey, guess what? This is historical site number 236. <laughs> I'm like, am I supposed to get a, a, a big erection from this news? it's like what what do people come back what did you see in korea well i saw historical site number 236 yeah the 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 making the numbering public information is completely useless within heritage studies especially heritage interpretation which is my focus here interpretation of heritage numbering any numbering system is completely irrelevant to, to tourism you you don't have to tell the public what the numbering system is. This is a habit I see so many times in the society is is doing what should be behind the doors information and making it public. It's not like you're letting out secrets. You're just letting out useless information no one is interested in. As in, you will see marketing for for businesses and restaurants uh, as done as an investor portfolio. Mm. As in, you will you will see you will see an actual advertisement for a restaurant that says, "This is campaign 2021." <laughs> it's like you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like going on a date and telling your date this is what you plan to do before you kiss them at the end of the date. It's like okay. <laughs> when you see me putting on chapstick, that's yeah. when I'm getting ready to. Yeah. This is my campaign to kiss you tonight. Anyway, you're catching me on one of my weird nights. I think it's this. this dark, well, the beers you had. Beer. <laughs> that much. <laughs> um, back down to actual human tragedy. Uh, 2008, that same year. 2008 was a crappy year, man. That, well, that, was, that was just extreme. Just so much crap happened that year. Hmm. Um, Nyon Dong massacre. Oh, uh, that, yeah. that was nuts. I forgot about that. Uh, October 20th, 2008. Six killed, but do not let the relatively smaller number dissuade you on how horrific this was. So, um, this fuckhead, uh, Jong Sang Jin. Uh, now you're starting to see this move away from older Ajishis to embittered 30-something, what I call Ilbei bugs. I don't call it that. Someone else calls them Ilbei bugs. Where they, they tend to be these um, uh, right-leaning dudes who live with their moms or something like that and really pissed off at society and blaming society for the reason they don't have uh, the job they went to school for. Um, anyway... Uh, this guy really just hated the world, wanted to commit suicide. Um, he had a he, he was living in this Goshiwan, which is like kind of like a boarding house uh, on the third floor. 
Uh, he, he set his room on fire. Oh, oh yeah. He also dressed, dressed up in all black with goggles. Uh, and he was wearing a balaclava. Is that how you say it? Balaclava? The ski mask. Mm. He's wearing a ski mask and goggles. And he, he was really trying to make himself look like um, uh, a really bad superhero from like kick ass or something. <laughs> and got a sushi knife and was just slashing people who just went ran by him after he set the fire. And that's effing scary because I know how sharp those sushi knives are Mm -hmm. that's that's deadly I would I would go to to no young Jin and and get a knife and I go to the tinker the guy sharpening the knives and he would sharpen that knife and he would shave his arm hair with that knife (laughs) he he would he would just he would take a a piece of paper and let it drop and the, the knife would slice that paper in half just by the act of gravity um, those are super sharp knives. And so I would not want to be near anything like that. He also had other stuff too, like tear gas, can't grenade and uh, some other knives. But anyway, um, the, the fire department was called in and they, they started rescuing people and they rescued him because they thought he was a victim. <laughs> when actually he was, he was hiding in a storage closet. <laughs> mm. So, um, sob story. All right. I have to say the reasons that they did this, it's not valid reasons, but this is the reason they want people to feel sorry for them. Cause you know, I had a hard life. He had, he was having financial hardships his whole life. Uh, he was picked on his whole life. Um, he skipped his military training, his reservist training. And so, um, oh, th- this is this is how much of a hero this guy was. He wanted to target the rich and high authorities, but he went for who was convenient, which was Chinese immigrant women. Anyway, he was sentenced to death. Of course, he's still alive, but he was sentenced to death. <laughs> Go ahead to July 6, 2013. I think all of you were born by then. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this one really quickly. Uh, go along with our 80s. Uh, this is the last um, airline disaster I knew of. And I'm pointing this out for patterns and also how things have changed. Um, I remember this so vividly. Um, Asiana Airlines Flight 214 was landing at San Francisco. And uh, it, it clipped the embankment on the edge of the water. Uh, the rear of the plane was in it, it broke away the rear of the plane and um, people were flung out of the plane and three were killed. They were Chinese students. I remember that were, were killed. Oh, that's so awful. The cause was pirate pilot error. He was uh, over relying on automation and it was, they said it was the official reason was also lack of understanding of systems operation. But if you go deeper, and I remember this was also criticism of the Uber society, the Uber culture of uh, miscommunication in which uh, other crew members saw that the captain, there were some errors in what the captain was doing, but because of the hierarchy of the cabin, they didn't speak up 
and tell them, dude, you're gonna you're gonna crash. Um, that was an issue. Um, people get offended by this when people say that, but it's a pattern. Uh, when it's a pattern, I mean, in some cases it, it's that so it's that way. In other cases, it's not. People just don't question authority in these situations. Just like in many cases, when a disaster is happening, an authority tells you to stay in place. A lot of people stayed in place. But in this case, I think it was a. Uh, there was an instructor on the flight, and the instructor wasn't supervising correctly. And the juniors on the flight started saying something was wrong, but they didn't. They didn't say anything to the captain about it. It was embarrassing. It, it was a uh, stain on Asiana. As far as I know, I think this last. Moving to 2014, April 16th, which is the day we are recording this um, in 2021, is um, the Um We will do a full episode on this, so I'm just going to skim through this one. This is very much a, an emotional one for both of us, for everyone. Um, it was. It goes along with our ferry incidents from the 1960s and 1950s through 70s. Uh, again, this is why I was pointing it out back in those shows, is this pattern of it was a boat that was overloaded with an inexperienced crew or a, a very uh, neglectful crew. Um, in this case, the captain, who wasn't the regular captain, uh, they were drinking beer. And so that means uh, the subordinates were in charge of, of steering and they, they, they steered the ship too hard at this one point and it listed to its side and capsized. It started sinking and they let out the, the order that they told everyone to stay put in their cabins. Um, and uh, some of them disobeyed and didn't stay in their cabins and they lived. Yep. The ones who stay in their cabins did not. Captain and crew abandoned ship, which is a pattern again. And I, I want to point this out. This is not a pattern just in modern history. When we talk about Isun Shin, when we go back into the Chosun era and the Hideyoshi invasions and, and all these, and uh, you're going to find that the people that are responsible for taking care of everyone are the first to leave, the first to abandon. Not a sense of honor in these people. In, in the upper echelons. So anyway, they left the ship and left um, lots of families and high school students from Ansan to drown. And uh, that, that hits me personally because that's, that was where I had my first year as a teacher in Korea was in Ansan. And a lot of my kindergarten students from that time would have been high school students at the time of that. So I do not know and I will never know if any of my former students were on that boat. So that's a little personal for me. Go again. Um, well, okay, not all the crew. Three crew members did stay behind and help, and they, they went down with the ship. That was really sad. Um, uh, rescue operations were delayed. Coast Guard messed things up. Miscommunications. Um, late. Yep. The sudden turn was the cause. Uh, th this off-duty captain, you're gonna—he pops up a lot. He was complaining so much before about the bad problems with the ship and the company. He said there were steering problems on that on that ship. 
that you couldn't it couldn't get precise steering and that's that was the problem was uh it was listing too far to the right and they couldn't make the adjustments properly because these are very inexperienced with these crew were very inexperienced with the way the steering controls worked it wasn't like your normal way where you turn right and it goes a little bit to the right it went a lot to the right when you turned it a little bit the, the uh overloading the off-duty captain and and the first mate warned about this overloading uh, and they brought up with the management and management threatened to fire them if they kept bringing it up. Uh, the, the cargo was not properly secured. Uh, the cargo this time was heavy equipment and I think it was marble as well. Heavy stuff. Bit of a change from previous ferry disasters of other decades. We're not no longer transporting rice and tangerines. We've moved ourselves up to heavy equipment and, and luxury minerals. I remember at the time it was announced that uh, they released too much of the ballast water before they, they left port in the yeah. So that was so they could carry all this extra equipment, get more weights. That's right. And then when they made that sharp turn uh, without that counterbalance in the ball and yeah, everything just shifted to, to starboard and then the ship listed and then capsized. Yeah. Um, also the addition of extra passenger cabins making it more top heavy which reminds mm -hmm. me of the extra fifth floor that was thrown on Sampung department store in the 90s mm -hmm. and like Sampung and all these other disasters too much of a cozy relationship between the agencies the government agencies and the shipping industry mm -hmm. um, aftermath I remember the media was highly unprofessional during this I don't remember any specific incidents, but I just remember they were just milking, milking the tragedy and proposing every weird conspiracy theory to the point that I think that's the only Wikipedia. Now I, I go, I do, I do different sites for this, but the first place I usually check is Wikipedia just to get the general scope. And the Wikipedia had a, debunk so many of these outrageous theories that the media promoted at the time. And they're not theories. A theory is something that's proven. They're hypotheses. Uh, conspiracies. The <laughs> yeah. Most of them. Yeah, yeah. Conspiracies. Um, as for the perpetrators, the former owner of Chong Hei Jin, which was the owner of the. Yeah. Well, we just had, we just had our own disaster. Right. Uh, my foot tapping the power button on my computer. Oh, you're already recording. Yes. Yeah. Hello. Anyway, yeah. Former owner, uh, Yu Byung-un, fled. There was a nationwide manhunt. They found him dead in a field somewhere because that's the type of end you deserve. Uh, the captain and two other crew were indicted with homicide. Um, the captain was sentenced to 36 years in prison. The judgment was negligence but no intent to kill which yeah we'll say that you're douchebag but you weren't an evil douchebag i mean you didn't intend to kill all these people it's just you didn't want to kill you you just didn't want to die or you didn't want to be responsible anyway anyway but the chief engineer was convicted of murder and is serving 30 years 11 other crew members were indicted indicted on lesser charges uh, Chung Hae Jin CEO Kim Han Shik was sentenced to 10 years. Six other employees and a Korean Shipping Association official also received sentences for corruption. 
And this all led to the downfall of President Park Geun-hye for her administration's negligence, for only caring about how things looked, about the optics of it, over actually doing anything about it. They were more concerned with protests and and just how this looked in the media to the point where it was later revealed after she left the office that they had made a blacklist of artists that started this blacklist started by making lists of artists who had portrayed the Sewol in their artwork. Um, members of her administration were in prison for four years for this. Anyway, it put a lot of Korea's lax regulations in the spotlight. This was the Sam. This is like Sam Poong. This is, this is on the level of Sam Poong department store. And there was a lot of soul searching. Um, if you ask me, there wasn't a lot of self soul searching that saying that it was a pattern of lack safety standards on the personal level, you know, because I, I'm of the opinion that thinks that, um, a motor scooter blasting through a red light to deliver chicken is of the same mentality as the guys on the say wall. I agree. I think that like there there could be, you know, uh, drinking and driving is a problem. And, and uh, uh, we talked about it on our our uh, Dark Side of Seoul episode yeah. with, uh, with, with Julia oh, this a little bit. And uh, and yeah, I, I, I've, I remember being at a restaurant and there was a, uh, a, a restaurant. Yeah, a restaurant. And there was a table next to me. And uh, the guys were drinking. And like, as you would, I was too, like me and my buddies were drinking. And then a lot of people, this was about maybe, maybe around one of the anniversaries of the, of the sinking, maybe the first or second anniversary. Mm. I think it was the first one coming out. So around this time of year and, um, you know, everyone was drunk. And then we went out to the parking lot and one of the guys who was sitting next to us got in his car and started to drive away. But the whole time that they were in the restaurant, they were complaining about the government and how the government... And you know, this is it. Like that. And then this he went, he it. left, he, it, he drove it, drunk. This is a pattern too, is always blame the other mm. rather than looking in the mirror. Mm. Uh, it's always this, this way. It's, it's always blame the government, blame the person in authority, blame the foreigner, blame anyone but yourself for the culture. And you don't see that the culture you're part of it. It starts and ends with you. You don't see the connection between this and the Sewol. Yes, Pakinhe was a horrible president, a, a, a horrible, traumatized shit stain of a human being. But she wasn't the beginning and the end of that tragedy. This was a social problem that was going on deep deep and this is just a reflection of what the society was doing anyway anyway um people just don't make the connection uh, i've done this with my wife and friends it's like you you see this is this is how the say will happen and they're like i don't see the connection they don't they don't see when they're they take a lax attitude towards safety and common sense rules um, the big one that's most affected was the Gangnam bathroom murder right near Gangnam Station. This is where we're seeing a turn in our disasters, I think, is this misogyny. And, and we're seeing this more of a pattern is this misogyny really, really infecting. 
Um, Kim Sung Min stabs a woman to death. Didn't know her, just in the bathroom. Why he hated women. Um, also, mental illness. He had schizophrenia. Yeah, he, he waited. He wait. Did he wait in the bathroom for like an hour or something? Yeah, something like that. In? Yeah, yeah. And she just she was just a, a a woman that needed to use the bathroom. Yeah, to do the most one of the most natural things that anyone just has Intimate. to do. I mean, a vulnerable, natural. It's like yeah, it's like the psycho shower scene. Yeah, the, the reason why it's so frightening is because yeah, yeah, you're, you're so vulnerable. Yeah, you can't. There's nothing you can't more protect vulnerable. yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you're like a child. You're like a baby when you're in situations like that. It's 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 awful. It's yeah. awful. Um, but this brings up two things. Yes, this this increased misogyny, which mm-hmm. you could research this and say this is this is a sign of the culture progressing, in which women are not in such women are in a better position than they used to be. And men were so used to being on top that they did not realize that they're on top. And so what they, what was realistically an equilibrium happening, they see as losing their power and losing their dominance. And especially men who aren't as powerful as the powerful men who control the less powerful men, uh, they lash out. They lash out because they feel like they're losing everything. Not excuse, but well, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, but this is yeah, not an excuse. But these these mental cases that are. But the, this is my point of this is we want to see the progress of how the society has been progressing, and we're at this point where we're kind of a, a rich democratic economy, the rich democratic society. Part of that is uh, the people who were powerless before have more power, and. When when an oppressed group gains more power, that means that the oppressor group loses its power <laughs> to oppress. Mm. <laughs> it's it's like yeah. it's like you say like freeing slaves uh, decreased the rights of slave owners to own slaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, um, giving children rights decreased the rights of factory owners from employing children. Mm. Uh, so yeah, when when one group gains, one oppressed group gains their rights, the, the the group that's on top doesn't have their right to oppress as much as they used to, and so they see this as them losing their power, them them being oppressed themselves. Uh, this guy, though, this is more of a mental issue thing, and this is a very big. This is something that's coming up in the future. Um, because he, he said that he he attacked he wanted to attack women because he felt personally uh, uh, injured by them. This wasn't, but but going deeper as they investigated him more, it wasn't just that he felt that women thought he was ugly or he couldn't find a date. He thought that personally, like on the subway, they would push him on the subway, that they would spit on him, and they found out that he was imagining a lot of this stuff. So anyway, so it's a few things, but this this was Korea's uh, adoption of the Me Too movement at yeah, the beginning of it. Quite then, severe, uh, quite severe entrance yeah. into the I, Me Too movement. Yeah, and then, but I think you're also right. It has that exceptionally powerful. The, I mean, the the result of this this case has the exceptionally powerful and. Um, important increase in a movement and a social understanding of 
of removing uh, chauvinism and the old guard Confucianism of, of Korean culture. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the terrible thing that's happening with it is the increase in, in men like this and the misogyny that was already probably kind of bubbling in Korea yeah. really is, has overflowed among the younger generation of men. It, and, it's been bubbling. It's the Ilbe. It's it's Ilbe. Mm-hmm. It's been around since before Sewol, but Sewol really brought this to the fore was this extreme right wing uh, anger. And and it's from this uh, one website that was nicknamed Ilbe. And they're called Ilbe bugs. And these are just entitled young men without jobs that are angry with the world because they don't have that high paying job that they were they thought they would get if they if they went to college. Uh, but they, they won't take they won't. Uh, I'm sorry, because I'm a former restaurant owner and and I know other restaurant owners. Um, I would say this right now. This is a secret. They don't like to hire. They generally don't like to hire men. Because there's a, this is a sense of entitlement that they don't want to work for a job that they feel is beneath them. Women will work hard, um, but there's a sense of entitlement with the current generation of young men that they feel that if I do not have my Samsung job, um, I'm angry at the world. We we have a we have a mutual friend. I won't say his name on the podcast, but uh, he owned a really good pizza shop that's no longer opened. Uh, and, uh, I remember one time I was there and I was talking to him and he had hired a part-timer. It was a young guy and, uh, the guy was just kind of standing around. And so our friend, the owner, he was like, Oh, I gotta, you know, I have to make the beat, go get the orders, clean up a little bit. And the guy's like, well, what should I clean? He's like, clean the floor. People are eating here. We have to have a clean floor, mm. clean the tables. And he said the young guy didn't know how to use a, a, a mop. He had the, the owner. had Oh, teach yeah. I know you're talking about. Uh, and by the way, uh, actually, that that pizza owner has a new business in another town. And he's doing. OK, okay. good. He's, so, so he did. OK, good. Yeah. Yeah. I knew he was planning on doing that. He's that, good. He's good. He's stuff. good. But yeah, this was a so, pattern was um, mm-hmm. the, the men would quit when they found out that the work was actually work, it wasn't as glamorous as, as celebrity chefs on TV on Korean dramas. <laughs> right. Well, what do they think working at Samsung is Samsung is infamously awful to work for. It's not about how it is. It's about your prestige. It's what's on your printed on your name card. I know people who work for Samsung SDI. Yeah. And Samsung DS. Yeah. Uh, Samsung Electronics. And they fucking hate it. Miserable people, a, aren't they? Miserable. They're not miserable. They're nice. They're fine. No, no, but, but miserable lives. Oh, their lives are miserable. Their work lives are awful. Absolutely terrible. They hate yeah. it. They hate their jobs. And, and I knew, hate, I knew, um, I, I would go to my friends. My friend was doing wine tasting seminars and I would meet doctors there and I, I would talk to doctors like, hi, what's your life like? And they're like, I hate my life. I, I, I do this because I have no social life. I want to know what it's like to live. My life is just empty. These yeah. doctors that, that they're, they made their mothers proud, but their lives are just empty. Yeah. But anyway, for these younger men in Korea, yeah, I, I'm worried genuinely worried that there's going to be an increase of the incel movement in Korea. These Mm. involuntary celibate losers. 
um, who who blame women for for their own shortcomings instead of blaming themselves and trying to better themselves yeah. like regular people do. Um, so I am worried that this is the, this movement is going to start to grow in Korea. Yeah, and, and we're, and we're, we're, we're going to touch on that at the end because I'm going to wrap everything up and I'm just going to okay. say one more one more incident and we're we're going to wrap things up. I'm going to talk quickly about the uh, December 21st, 2017 Jaechon Fire, um, electrical fire at Noble Fitness and Spa. 29 were killed. Uh, again, this just is just going to wrap up a lot of our fire, fire, fire and all this. I have a graphic graphic on here detailing what had happened uh again smoke inhalation was the main culprit for the deaths and the rapid spread uh this was started the, the spread because of new paint and decorations from remodeling the place um it was started in the parking garage uh 20 were trapped in the sauna uh around 20 were rescued from the roof of this eight-story building going back to our 1970s hotel fire incident they they had helicopter pads on the roofs now so people were able to be rescued by helicopter this time so improvements um this time also the owner didn't abandon the place but still tragic tragic hero in this um no not tragic hero but tragic um he tried to put out the fire with a fire extinguisher wouldn't work with this type of fire um he wanted to warn the women in the sauna about the fire but he was nervous about entering it because it was full of naked women. So, goddamn! Like, there's certain <laughs> situations that it's okay, it's all right. I think they'll be fine. They will be totally. totally I'm sorry, okay. I'm laughing. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. That's I'm not laughing at the tragedy. I'm laughing at just the craziness of life. Um. Also, this is one that pissed me off is the fire truck was delayed because of all the illegally parked cars blocking the way. Oh, God, this is what pisses everyone bonkers. off is like we have laws on the books, but they're not enforced. And that's that's going to be something we're going to deal with in the future is we've gone from over enforcement of the laws during the dictatorship period to the extreme opposite, because this is the land of extremes. We got to have extreme enforcement, extreme laxity. Um, so now, yeah, no one no one enforces the parking laws. So all these cars are illegally parked. Also, uh, also buildings are built without foresight, without anticipation that, that people need to park somewhere. Still doing it. My neighborhood right now that's rapidly under development. Not enough parking garages, so everyone's parking on the side of the street. Some good stories from this, like a, a, a guy from a cleaning company used his own ladder from his truck to save rescue people. Um, an elderly man and his son rescued 15 people before they were both overtaken by smoke. They were they survived, but they were hospitalized. But this elderly man, when, when the owner of the building didn't go in and, and help out the naked women, the older man went, an elderly man went in and helped the naked women, helped them out because the women couldn't, the lights were out. They couldn't see where the exit was. It's frightening. Yeah. Emergency exits were being blocked because uh, the stairwells were used as um, storage, which I remember after this incident, all the Gambiagesis in, in our apartment were emphasizing, don't put your bicycles on the stairwells. Hmm. After that, it's only after this shit happens that common sense kicks in. Because I could have said at any time, why why are people putting their shit out in their stairwell? This is that's in not my way. good. Yeah, that's yeah. in the way. 
But it's not until this shit happens that what I think is common sense actually kicks in. Uh, yeah, I think the cause was installation of electric heating wire wires on the first uh, on the floor first floor ceiling of the parking lot, which also happened. That's also the cause of the Maryland Hospital fire that was the next year. Yeah, the power outage. Uh, automatic door at the entrance is broken because of the power outage. Again, people didn't know how to open it, so you might see more in the future. More of those. Um, those stickers, drawings of the man with the butt crack showing how to open automatic doors when they're broken. Every place was short-staffed. There, there are not many people working there, so they couldn't help evacuate. Uh, the alarm was not installed. The sprinkler system didn't work because everything was under renovation. And the elevators were acting as chimneys, which is going to be a, an issue we're going to have to deal with in the near future, I think. We'll return to the podcast after this message. Take a walk down the dark alleys of the forgotten 600 year history of bloody massacres, TV hideaways, and morning ghosts. Come face to face with souls' deepest, darkest secrets. What lies under the concrete? Or who? The dark side of soul ghost walk. But now, if you dare. That's what I'm going to wrap up with. That's going to be the last incident I'm going to talk about. And so, Sean, what do you think? What do you think about these patterns that we've seen? I would say 1950s to 1960s was mostly maritime ferry disasters. We're still leaving the war. We're still a poor country. Right. Those are disasters happening within disaster and it's like national disaster and poverty. National disaster and poverty, uh, still a wartime thinking, mm-hmm. not much of a value on human life at the time. D- the, yeah, the 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 general idea and, and what it meant to live was completely different because people yeah. just survived a war. Well, a war that didn't actually end. So they were probably like, oh, geez, okay, now what are we yeah. going to do? And so, yeah, Park Chung Hee and the mili- and the dictatorship rapidly developing the economy at the expense of human safety, human humanity itself. Uh, safety, so yeah. we end up with mm-hmm. these great hotels that would catch fire and be death traps. And then when Korea, when South Korea started succeeding and surpassing North Korea in its economy, because remember, in the 60s, North Korea was the one that was ahead, not South Korea. Mm-hmm. And when South Korea started surpassing North Korea, North Korea started getting pissed off and started bombing they just started doing terrorist bombings. Uh, also, in the 80s, Koreans were starting to get rich enough to travel more. So there was more of an air airline industry at the time. So we started getting more air disasters in the 80s. Then the rapid development with all these concrete buildings and apartment, you know, apartments are considered these concrete monstrosities of apartments were still considered living better than living in a, in a rundown Hanok. So we have all these concrete blocks everywhere and concrete department stores. And uh, we started having more of these uh, construction disasters because of all this rapid construction combined with um, isolationism so that outside foreign companies couldn't help in building Korea. Only Korean companies who were overstretched and had to make all these mistakes rather than learning from others' mistakes. How to make these mistakes themselves at such a tragedy cost. And I'm thinking back and I'm trying to think of 
there are disasters happening all around the world. But some of the biggest ones really were happening in South Korea. I mean, uh, the the hotel fire was the worst hotel fire in world history. Mm. You have not come across a department store collapse like the one at Sampung in world history. Mm. Mm. So many uh, uh, a series of you know collapsing bridges. Yeah, we've had bridges collapse in America because of earthquakes. But not from just general uh, mm. haphazard welding, and then, and then um, after the structural problems were kind of smooth, kind of worked out. Like, like I keep using that the tight muscles you're working out with the massage. That then the society started growing. Then then it came down to more personal things. Fire safety became became the issue. Um, cutting corners still. Um, focusing on personal crimes like mass killings mm-hmm. and misogyny, mm-hmm. we're starting to see that more, uh, that, and that's where our current disasters are going to. I would say these days we don't have to worry about an apartment collapsing. No, you're right. I think a lot of the disasters that are coming in Korea are going to be within the culture. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have more now. This is we're going to be in the era of cultural disasters. There's going to be a breakdown. There's already a breakdown of the family unit. Uh, the the idea like half of the Korean elderly population lives in lives below the poverty line. Chauvinism's on the rise. Misogyny's on the rise. I would say male chauvinism because the original definition. Well, that's of what I, that's what I mean. Yes, that's what I mean. Yes, right. Male male chauvinism just, and just misogyny. to point out to people unaware, chauvinism literal definition of chauvinism is a feeling of superiority over someone from a different region. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're if you're like from New York and you look down on someone from Alabama, that's what chauvinism is. <laughs> the original version of chauvinism. Right. Anyway. Yes. So, um, misogyny, like an, a really good example of, of that is, uh, other than the, the terrible murder, um, that we already talked about the bathroom murder uh, in 2015, 2016 is when this, the book and the movie, uh, Park Ji Young born 1982 came out. Um, the movie came, came out, I guess now, geez, I keep forgetting that this is 2021. I guess it's uh, the movie came about two years ago. And the the story is about, um, you know, well, the, 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 the overall premise is about um, the way women have to live. Yeah. And um, it's a commentary on the difficulty of, of being a woman. And it, it works as something that women are ideally uh, ideally can connect with and relate to. And then it works as an eye opener for men. That's the whole point of it. And there's another good book written by Korean American Francis Cha called If I Had Your Face. And it's, but, but it's when fun the, read. When, when the movie, uh, Pak Ji Young, born 1982, came out. Um, all these young women wanted to go see the movie, and the boyfriends broke up with their girlfriends yeah. because of this. They're they're like, "Oh, we're gonna have a date this weekend. What do you want to do? Let's go see a movie." Oh yeah, okay. What do you want to see? Uh, oh, let's go see the the 
Park Park Ji Young, nineteen born nineteen eighty two, and the boyfriend. There was a really bad. I mean, you think Gamergate was bad in the U.S.? Do you hate me? You hate me now. The Korean version of Gamergate was really bad, and there was the 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 uh, the nightclub thing with all the the Korean boy bands. Oh yeah, we talked about that before. Yeah, Yeah. we talked about that with uh, with Ali and Hana. Yeah, so we were getting a rise of misogyny, but okay. Yeah. Some some of the patterns that we've seen in all this too. The, of course, one is the baddie baddie, hurry hurry mentality. You uh, know, contributed I, a lot. I, yeah, and that's not going away. You know, I, I um, I was recently speaking with. I'm always interviewing Koreans about something, and. I recently interviewed Koreans about something that they love and something they hate about their own culture. And, uh, and a lot of the answers for things that they love is Bali Bali. And lots of things they hate. And a lot of people said it's, <laughs> they have the ambivalent relationship with Bali Bali. They love it and hate it. It's so like it's how still- Homer Simpson says about alcohol. It is, it is the cause and the solution of life's problems. Uh, beer, the cause and solution to all life's problems. <laughs> <laughs> so it's belly belly. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just say too, just quick on that point. Uh, a few years ago, um, I don't remember the year. I remember 2018. Um, I had a soul hike tour with a professor, uh, from the Occidental college, um, named Jennifer Piscopo mm-hmm. and she was invited to, so she's a professor of politics, I believe, but her research is on representation, gender quotas, um, and things like that with a focus on Latin America. Mm-hmm. And I know like she's other than, you know, outside of her, her academic work, she's also written for like Ms. Magazine and, and, uh, and things like that. And, um, she was an editor editor for a, a collection of what was it? The impact on gender quotas. Mm-hmm. So she was invited to Korea specifically to talk at me, the Me Too movements. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, yeah. The Me Too movement uh, demonstrations in Seoul, and she was invited because she's an expert on on gender quotas and representation yeah. and things like that. So she came to Korea she's here for like a week or something. And she had a lot of free time. She told me, so she was fortunately was able to, uh, to do a lot of, to see a lot of things to do a lot. So she booked a soul hike tour mm. with me. Uh, so it was really fascinating speaking with her. Uh, and then she eventually, then, uh, she came on the, my dark side of soul tour as well. After. <laughs> um, and, uh, but anyway, if anyone wants to look up her work, so search Jennifer Piscopo. I think she, I think she goes by her middle initial, but I can't remember. I think it's an M, Jennifer M. Piscopo. Mm-hmm. But if you search Jennifer Piscopo Occidental College, you'll very likely find her. Yeah. Or Jennifer Piscopo Gender Studies or uh, Gender Quotas. You, you'll find you'll find uh, her work. Um, yeah, very very fascinating. So she she was in Korea. Uh, when the Me Too movement was really rising here. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, really fascinating to, to, if anyone's interested in looking at her work. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, more patterns, I would say, disassociation of cause and effect. I said this before. Mm-hmm. Always, it's like, it's like, you don't see how this leads to this. 
uh, or what how Michael Brina said, Korea's not so good at strategic thinking, but really good at tactical thinking, as in really stubborn refusal to anticipate disaster. But after it happens, really good at fixing it. Um, mm. <laughs> another pattern I would say, like, angry older men tend to commit arson. <laughs> yeah. but, they're, but they're getting younger. Uh, slow responsive responders. Common thread we found. Of course, yeah. miscommunication, which I think is related to Confucian hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I agree with that. Uh, people say that, oh, you don't don't blame everything on Confucianism that's lazy. But I'm like, no, no, no. But no, don't, no, also, don't, don't dismiss <laughs> Confucianism either. Right, right. You don't have an entire 500-year dynasty based on Confucian. The ideals completely disappear from the, evaporate from the culture. Confucian Confucianism is inherently problematic, especially the I think, especially the the domestic version of it. Yeah. Um, many times in these disasters, people were told to remain where they were to follow the authority, Confucian authority, and the people who survived are the ones who didn't follow that authority. Uh, but then again, this is why I call it FUC. This is what I'm. This is you see what I'm doing here. I'm doing the pattern of fucked up Confucianism, where. Where the people on the lower part of the higher Confucian hierarchy are expected to obey and follow Confucian standards, but the people at the top do not set themselves to the same Confucian standards. Because the people at the top are supposed to be taking care of the ones below them. They're sonbeis. They're supposed to be taking care of them, but they don't. They abandon they abandon their duties as this the soonest opportunity. So you see the people uh, the people in charge flee the scene. Captains Subway operators, pub owners, building owners, they all flee their responsibility while the people beneath them obey. It's just Confucian turned, Confucianism turned upside down. Um, and also greed and corruption, which uh, when we continue with, with my fall of the chosen dynasty, I want to connect this because a lot of the fall of the chosen dynasty was the same uh, corruption that came from kings giving too many titles of merit to merit subjects. There were too many merit subjects, too many aristocrats. And so you had this giant, this giant wealth of aristocrats and not much money to go between them. So you had a lot of people in poverty that had government positions. And the only way to make money from a government position is a bribe. And it was so ingrained in the culture from the mid Joseon dynasty <laughs> that these habits were hard to break. Things have changed, though. We said that the air and air travel building safety has gotten better. But things don't change unless there's public outcry. Like you were saying, the drunk driving... Drug driving rules never changed until uh, this boy was killed in a crosswalk by a drunk driver recently. It didn't, didn't they just recently change like the rolling right? You can't turn right on a, on a, yeah. On a and I'm getting honked at by cars when I'm not crossing, when I'm not turning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, we've lowered the, uh, the alcohol level. Mm. Oh. Uh, after that, that one incident. Um, there is more of a safety mindset, more safety consciousness going on. Um, oh God, I, I'm scared of going into this in this uh, meandering path of saying that 
Um, I, th- I think we have more consciousness because people's minds are being expanded outside of the bubbles. Uh, I remember way back taking this, this uh, basic sociology class where they said in societies, societies start off with uh, the family and as societies, societies progress, they grow stronger to tribalism, they go stronger to your village, stronger to having your mind of your town, stronger to having your mind of your nation. And then you go beyond that because nation is your nationalism and then go beyond that and to more of a, a community mindset as opposed to a, a small core family mindset. And I would say that some of these disasters happened. The people didn't really care about the other person because they weren't part of their immediate family. Uh, There's a habit of people saying that if you're not part of my circle, you're beneath human. And now that we're all living together and we are interconnected with each other in like this large city of soul, I think there's more public consciousness of community than there was before in just my time here. Now I might be totally reaching on this one. I want to explore this even further. Um, but I would say that things like driving's gotten better. Mm, definitely. Yeah. People follow the, the rules better because those rules were not make created in isolation. There's a reason you stop at a stop sign. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. There is a reason for it. Um, People stand in line orderly when they used to not do that. Transferring at the subway, getting out and getting into the subway. Easier than it used to be because we have more of a community mindset rather than uh, uh, me for me sake. A, world revol- a childish world revolves around me mindset. We've, we've expanded our minds to involve more people in our community that you're part of a community. Um, there's been more fluidity in the Confucian hierarchy that was brought up during the, the Asiana disaster and things like that it was, is where people are now encouraged to speak up more. I would say Huishik are, are not as required as they used to be, which is the, the office party that they, they require when the boss wants everyone to go out drinking after work. Required. Drinking, drinking drop, a lot drop, until until drop like all your one plans, o'clock. cancel your plans. Don't see your children. You need to go out and drink with me, your boss. In which, um, who pointed this out? Was it Rashid on Twitter? Say, oh no, someone pointed out that when the, when they observed how Huishik was done, Huishik people keep they keep arguing that Huishik is to create a sense of camaraderie amongst. Uh, workers in the company, but really, what it does is establish the higher, reestablish, reinforce the hierarchy in the company. Mm. Someone asked me before. They said, "In Canada, do they have company dinners?" And my fir- oh, first reply is always like, "Well, I've lived half my life in Korea, so I can't, I can't really comment really on that." But from what I know, and what I'm, you know, fairly certain, no, no especially not to the degree that they have in, in Korea. And they asked me, well, no. why not? Like, it's a good way to stay in touch with your coworkers. Like, well, no one wants to stay in touch with their coworkers when the clock hits six, when the time hits six o'clock you have a family, then you go home. So you might, don't, but, yeah. but those of us who didn't have families at the time when I went on, on, uh, uh, contracts, I did try to, I did try to create a sense of camaraderie with my coworkers by like, Hey, let's go out for wings tonight. And if they want to come, they come. Hmm. 
and we made friendships from that. But you it's know, not, it's, it's not always voluntary, becomes, right? And it's not something that becomes a protocol where it enters it enters the mindset of the society to the point where uh, you know, you know, God, I better do this, or everyone's going to look down on me. Oh you know, yeah, I'm going to be ostracized for not wanting yeah. to go out and drink my face off until two in yeah. the morning. Yeah, ad- adolescent so. style peer pressure. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, also, that, that's disappearing. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, we're we're getting okay. I'm right, I'm reading from my notes. But consciousness of social disasters, mm-hmm. which I say the more social disasters rather than structural disasters, which are buildings and transportation. We're now looking more. We're now more conscious of the serial killers, the sex crimes, the child abuses, which I think we're always going. These were always happening. We're just noticing it now. That's what I'm thinking. That's my thinking of it, my hypothesis. But we're also seeing those who are responsible are starting to be punished more than they used to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say true. there's le- there's less corruption than there used to be. And there, yeah, less. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, because mm. we're, 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 we're a wealthier society. Government officials don't need to be bribed just to make a living. But we have to remember, too, that Okay, like in that regard, bri- bribes and whatnot. But you remember, like we st- still are going through the LH scandal right now. So even though oh, okay, the legality, rich, yeah, the, yeah. So. That, but it's less than it was. So the fact that the LH scandal is such a big deal that that flipped the government over shows how much we progressed. Because that would just be considered normal twenty years ago, I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But they're flipping the government back to the one that they protested against in 2016. I know, so, I know, I know. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because we don't... <laughs> but we, we all, our memories are short as politi- well. That's politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we, we, we're discussing this, and these are the patterns, and we're, we're wondering, like, where things are heading. I mean, more consciousness of these social disasters. Like I said, we're going from the structural disaster to the personal disasters, the human-level disasters. People are taking... More responsibilities being taken by those entrusted with responsibility. More so. More so. I'm not saying it's totally that way. I just say it's more than it used to be. What I predict is we're going to see a lot more helicopter parenting because of all this consciousness about um, sex crimes and child abuse and um, child abductions. Like in America. America had these scares back in the 80s and 90s, and that's why the current millennial, the millennial generation grew up with helicopter parents. And I think that Canada was the same, like in the 80s and 90s. Um, The abduction was a big, was a, was a worry and whatnot, but we were still latchkey kids. Like we, I carried our generation were, our generation were. Yeah. I mean, the one after us, the, the, but we were kids in the 80s. I mean, right. So, yeah. In the nineties, yeah, yeah, I was a, I was a teenager. I say the millennials, the we're we're Gen X. the The millennials yeah. were really had the helicopter parents. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where um, they weren't allowed to go far because now these days, it's considered child. The, the police will get called if if a child is out at a park by themselves without a parent hovering hovering over them. That's right. When, when in but, Korea, we freedom. Kids, mm. the kids have freedom now that you and I had in the eighties. Yeah, As, yeah, I think that's true. Outside of the hogwans, outside of having to go to the hogwans, the 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 kids don't have a tight leash on them, right? Um, no, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, um, 
I just can't always never, I, I'm always confused because I have this beautiful little mountain behind my house and there's never kids up there playing. I would, you wouldn't get me out of there when I was a Oh, I would kid. love that. Yeah, me too. I was always, too. I was always in the forest and the, in the I, woods I was playing with my, my bike. I was going my bike and pretending just adds my imagination went wild to go disappearing into the suburban forests that weren't developed yet. Oh man. I was climbing trees and fishing and yeah. And my, 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 my subdivision was under development, get, just get, like a, getting a, a bad grades. <laughs> and so oh, yeah. we, we would love, we would love exploring like where all the ditches were going to with the, we would explore like the drainage system. It was fascinating where it would lead right. to. Um, my buddy, my close buddy of mine back home, like he's now, he's not from Newfoundland, he's Canadian, but I met him in Korea. He grew up in Hamilton, Ontario uh-huh. and uh, kind of like Ontario steel town. And, uh, he, and a great Broadway musical. And he, Hamilton, <laughs> yeah, no relation. Uh, the um, he, uh, he said that everyone, when he was growing up, everyone loved the Rush song, Subdivisions because the song is about growing up in, in subdivisions, these, these areas of, of towns mm-hmm. that were just built like that. They were lower, they were lower middle-class, uh, upper low-class areas where people lived. And he said that, that, is that, that song is about, about, about Hamilton. He's sure of it, <laughs> uh, but they had freedom, right? So yeah. yeah, we had freedom. But the big looming iceberg that's going to hit us is the mental illness. Yeah, this this is this is worrisome and also really sensitive. With the with the knife attack, to the Gangnam bathroom, mm-hmm. and uh, and other one one I didn't mention was uh, the Weijungbu subway mental illness guy attacking people with a box cutter. Oh yeah, two thousand twelve. Right. There's a there's a guy in my neighborhood who who it's you can just by observing him um he he has some issue a mental illness issue i don't know what it is other times he just walks down the street and he's got his you know he's listening to some music and stuff he doesn't bother anyone yeah other times he'll walk down the street and he'll like he'll just start screaming like he like he screams the song oh um and then then but I've seen him a couple of times and I've had to go up to him a couple of times because he starts following kids and he starts uh, uh, like rubbing their hair. <laughs> so, and he's just walking around and uh, I've had twice. I've had to go up to him one time. He did it to a boy. Another time he did it to a girl. And these are little kids are like eight years old and he's talking to them and they're, they're the kids are just kind of, you know, they're bowing to him. They're saying, nah, nah, yeah. annual, annual. Yeah. And then um, I heard him asking the kid like, Jeepay Audia. Where's your house? Where do you live? <gasps> so I went up to the guy and I got in between him and the kid and I told the kid, I said, go home. Um, and, and I said to him, said, you, do you know him? Do you know that boy? And he's like, no. I said, you shouldn't talk to him. It's, if you don't know him, just leave him alone. And he's like, okay. And he turned around, he walked away. But it, like, it's potentially dangerous. Yeah. See, people don't see this coming. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a combination of things. For one thing, um, mental illness is considered shameful. So you should, you should ignore it. Mm, so right. go, going to a therapist cause you're depressed, having suicidal thoughts or just anything. Uh, if you're just not feeling good, it it's considered shameful to do that. So there's a stigma, mm. but also I would say that social pressures 
or amplifying what's already there. If you have a schizophrenia and you're you're I would I would think that the social pressures will make you increase it and see things that aren't really see things that aren't happening and make you want to act out more rather than if yeah. you feel like you're in a safe environment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And suicides. I mean, one day we'll cover that big monster of suicides. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody asked us actually on um, Instagram uh, a little while ago, um, asked us if we are going to cover suicides at some point. And, um, and I said, yes, we've been talking about it, but it's a huge issue, an issue that we have to be very, sensitive about and we have to make sure we research it and we are also uh you know we've we know people who've committed suicide so it's a very um it's a very sensitive issue that we want to approach properly yeah so um i want to see and so that's what that was my reply yeah um so yeah maybe in the future and that's that's why i did this series on disasters is testing out some of these topics we want to explore more in depth mm -hmm. of uh, the, the Sewol Sampung department store, Yu um, Yongchol, mm -hmm. things we want to tackle in more depth, but we wanted to see if it was possible to even start the conversation about it, how much research there is to do. Oh my goodness, I'm finding so much stuff. Mm -hmm. And... I kind of want. I think okay, Sean. Let's let's go back to talking about like movies and ghost stories. Could we do that for a while? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a couple lighter episodes coming up, except for the very next one. That's gonna be that one's gonna be a little bit heavy too. Not too bad, but mm, a little bit. Mm. And then the one after it's gonna be fun. Okay. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, yeah, we do have schedules. <laughs> we 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 often set set uh, uh, some of our our future episodes uh in advance i i had i'll tell you this for the 1990s episode i had the outline there weeks before and then i sat down to write the notes it took it took around six hours just to write the notes for the show mm -hmm. and this is just 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 research just outlines because i was just so many rabbit holes i was going down and we sure. do we do appreciate your support on our Patreon. <laughs> if you've made it this far, uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash dark side of the soul. And starting at just $5, you get a lots of extra content. And if you get onto the top $20 tier a month, you become one of our top tier patrons, just like the magical Laura Casey, Minsuk Lee, Devin Hifner, Sharon Cullen, Jamie Staley, Joel Bonamini and the legendary Angel Earl, <laughs> who <laughs> also get uh, cool like toys and gifts we send to them once a month. Um, we also want to thank Sardak San uh, for our theme music. Uh, you can find them under Bandcamp under Jeju Digital. And um, gosh, Sean, do we have anything else? I think we're done. That's it. Yeah. All right. Until next time, stay spooky. Good night.